All right, welcome to 2021 and a new sermon series. So, Acts chapter 1, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. If you are new to the Bible, just look in the front cover and find the page number for Acts, or maybe you have a phone or a tablet you can access a Bible on. Acts chapter 1. Verse 1 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 26, is going to be our focus for this morning. And uh, as we begin 2021, we are going to just walk through the book of Acts, one passage, one chapter at a time, and, and see what God has done for us and for our salvation as he established the church. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and if you'll join me in prayer after I read, in the, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a dark cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount uh, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, John, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was, in all, about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became the, a, a guide to those who, are arrested, those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Al-Kedimah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men 
who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barabbas, who was also called Justice and, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we study it. Father, we come before you and we say thank you for your word. We thank you already for this book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. As you see, uh, or as we see, the uh, followers of Jesus Christ form a new humanity, which we call on earth the church, uh, this local church, the uh, the broad uh, universal church of all people uh, who are regenerated by your grace, making up this new humanity in heaven. God, we thank you for the fact that we are part of that. And as we study our history, we pray, God, that you would give us the same power that has allowed us to be here today, that will take us into, the mar- into tomorrow, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Through his help, God, help us to understand this passage. Help me to communicate it with clarity. I pray that I will not communicate my own ideas but communicate your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excuse me. I want to preach to you this morning on the uh, chapter, chapter 1 of Acts, and I want to entitle my message, Power for a New Mission. Power for a New Mission. Mission. One author tells the story on New Year's Day. In the Rose Bowl parade, a float suddenly sputtered and quit. It was out of gas and it held up the entire parade until somebody could get a can of gas. Now, the funny and shameful thing about this is that the float, which ran out of gas, represented the Standard Oil Company which had vast oil resources. And so they had to hold up the entire parade until somebody could get a truck with gas to fuel the standard oil company truck. Now, I wonder, how many Christians, professing Christians, so-called Christians, are out of gas in spite of the fact that we have vast resources available to us. I wonder how many churches or so-called churches are out of gas in spite of the fact that we are called, according to Luke, which we studied, Luke chapter 24, verse 44, we are called to be those who are clothed with power. Out of gas because we are feeding upon the wrong spirit, on the wrong mission, and going in the wrong direction. We as a church are to have power. We as individual Christians are to have power. 
And on this first Sunday of the year 2021, I want to preach to you on the power for a new mission. Now, lest I miscommunicate from the get-go, when I say new mission, I actually mean a very old mission. A mission that is 2,000 years old. A mission that was new, however, for the church in Acts. Now, the mission of God has always been the same. God is bringing glory to himself through saving a people, yet he has commissioned his own people in a new direction with the, what we call the great commission of Jesus Christ to his followers. And we see it summarized, or the message summarized in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, which we studied at Bible study just this past week, which uh, Paul says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. I want to focus on this word, mission. Because we too have a mission. We as a church have a mission. I mean, let me just talk about our mission right here in this neighborhood of Baltimore City. We've got 10,000 plus people that literally live within a couple blocks of where we meet. Out of that 10,000 people, two-thirds of the adults don't have a job. Out of that 10,000 people, uh, uh, the vast majority of the children don't have a father in the home. Out of that 10,000 plus people in our neighborhood, only half of the kids will graduate from high school. But our greatest poverty is not a poverty of the wallet, but a poverty of the word. My greatest fear is that 10,000 plus people might interact with us and see us at various times and in various ways, yet never actually hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from us. I want to pour ourselves out in 2021 into this mission of reaching people in the neighborhood for the glory of God. And I'm not just talking about this neighborhood, but surrounding us are 20, 30, 40,000 other people, and then over, what, 700 or so thousand in Baltimore City and beyond. We've got a mission, and that mission is a new mission that hasn't changed for 2,000 years. If you are a Christian, you're going to hear what your mission is this morning. But I also want to talk about power. Not just mission, but power. Because if we're on a mission, we've got to have what? Power for that mission. Are you tracking with me? Now, why don't we witness? Why don't we share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is simply this. Witnessing feels powerless. It really does, doesn't it? Like, our words are so fragile. Half of us probably would say that I, I, I can't even speak well. I, I can't, I'm not good with my words. And words then feel so fragile and so powerless. And, and we've got to recognize that we're not given a sword for our mission. We're given words. We're not given thrones and worldly kingdoms for our mission. We're given ideas of spiritual realities for our mission. 
And as we look at the world around us, if you are honest with yourself and honest with me, you probably would agree that in and of ourselves, in and of our flesh, we feel very weak in our mission. And the task that we've been given to witness of Jesus Christ feels like foolishness. We are weak in this world so that he might be made strong. We come with a foolish message so that the wisdom of God might be displayed, so so that fools, true fools, might be shown to be fools so that they might come before God on their knees in repentance and believe. We're in Acts. We're, We're beginning a series this morning through the book of Acts. Now, If you've been with our church for uh, the last year or two, you know that we did, uh, uh, we had about 59 messages in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Acts is Luke part two, the same author. It's the sequel. Luke is the prequel. If you remember how Luke begins, Luke chapter one, verse three, Luke began by saying, I'm writing to you, O excellent Theophilus an orderly account of the the life of Jesus. The central character of the gospel of Luke was Jesus. Now Luke, in verse 1, is continuing to Theophilus. He says, in the first book, or in the prequel of Theophilus, I dealt with Jesus. And Jesus talked about, verse 2, the Holy Spirit. He introduces us to now the central character of his sequel, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit who Jesus is going to send. Hello? 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 (laughs) Um, As we begin, we see here Luke introduces the central character. Verse 3, he kind of sums things up. He, he recaps what he uh, previously wrote about, how Jesus lived and how Jesus suffered and how Jesus was raised, verse 3, by many proofs. Proofs. The evidence, the concrete reality of his resurrection is absolutely crucial to the mission of the church as they go forward. And we're going to see that in our own lives. He catches us up. He, he was with him for 40 days with his disciples. We, we discover kind of an interesting historical fact here that Jesus didn't immediately ascend to heaven, but he stayed with his disciples in his risen form for 40 days. And what was he doing? Well, it was kind of like 40 days of seminary. It was hardcore training. He says here that he was speaking about the kingdom of God. If the Holy Spirit is the central character. The kingdom of God is the central theme of Acts. The kingdom of God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is the king. And what Acts is showing us is how his kingdom is going to be displayed and go forward in this world. In verse 4, We see that Jesus gave one final command to his disciples. What was the final command he gave to his disciples? We typically think of what? The Great Commission. The Great Commission begins with, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What's the next word? Go. That's right. 
Jesus, in the Great Commission, looked at his disciples and like a, like a, like a great leader sending his troops into battle, he said, all right, go. But, wait. Like a good football coach who's about to send his own team into the championship game, he says, all right, you guys ready? Go for it. And they all get eager and start to move. And he's like, but hold up, you're not ready. You don't yet have what it takes to play this game. Jesus said, go, but wait. Wait, verse 4. He says, wait for what? For the promise of the Father. That is the Holy Spirit. The, The Spirit is going to be sent and comes with a power, and the church needs to wait for that power. I want to treat this text under three headings. Number one, the need for power. Number two, the experience of power. And number three, the result of power. Let's talk about the power that we have for the mission that we have been sent on. Number one, the need for power. The early church is in desperate need of otherworldly power for this worldly mission. Because in all reality, it's an otherworldly mission. They are, number one, down a leader. You see verse 13 there, the, the list of their leaders or the apostles are mentioned, and there's only 11 of them. We discover what happens to the 12th apostle, his name was Judas. In verses 17 through 20, we're told what happened to him. He bought a field with the money that he used to sell out Jesus. And, and then he fell in that field. And, and it says that his, his body just opened up and his bowels gushed out. And that field then, to this day, some 30 years later as Acts was written, is called the field of blood. They're down a leader. Not only that, but they have 120 people. 120. They're going forward on this global mission, and they're looking around at 120 people. Have you ever been called to something that's bigger than you? Have you ever heard of a church talking about something and you look around and you think, I just don't think we can pull that off with what we have? The answer is exactly. Exactly. What we're called to, church, we cannot pull off with what we have. Don't look around at who we have, how many we have, how many resources we have, and determine what God is going to call us to. They looked around at 120 people who all fit together in an, open, uh, in an upper room. Uh, 60 million plus people in the Roman Empire. 120 people is not a whole lot. They need a power that is bigger and beyond them. And so what we see then is these 120 people waiting in an upper room and praying. Because if you don't have this power, church, you could look the part. You could look like a million bucks. You could look like you're going to do something in this world. And you might do something in this world, in this temporal world, things that fade, 
things that will decay, but nothing that will last forever. A hooplimbup. Hmm? When I was, uh, when I was uh, uh, in middle school, my, my older brother and I came up with this word, hooplimbup. And that was a word for that kid that would walk into the gym with uh, a new pair of J's and a headband, wristbands, and uh, and one shorts. Remember and one shorts? And uh, six foot four, and everybody's like, man, I want that dude on my team. He looks really good. And then he touches a ball. (laughs) And he can't hit a layup. (laughs) He can't. He can't hit a free throw. He can't dribble. We call that guy a hooplimbop. You look like you can hoop. <laughs> but you can't. And look, there's a lot of individual Christians and churches who look like they can do something. But they can't. And that's because the spirit is not there. The power is not there. If we are going to do something real and lasting in our life through this church, through your own individual life with your family members and your friends, you need a power that is beyond anything that you can come up with on your own. It's not about how you dress. You can't dress this thing up. We can't, we can't uh, come with popular persuasion with uh, political power, with pretty people, and just on our own accomplish something in the world. We need a power, a power that comes from God. Abraham himself said, I am nothing but dust, Genesis 18. Isaiah said, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Peter said, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. Luke chapter 5. Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy chapter 1. On our own, that's a pretty good description of who we are. We need something more. Jesus says in verse 4, he says, go but wait. The next word is for. For the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We are told that Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, which we see him do here in this passage, so that he will send the helper, the one who's going to come and clothe us with power, and that is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. The need for power, number two, the experience of power. What is this power like experienced? Well, the answer is not how they imagined it would be. They thought that the Messiah was going to come and set up his worldly kingdom on earth now. They thought that the Messiah was going to come, come in and come into Jerusalem and sit on the throne and overthrow Ro- the Roman Empire and that the values of, the, of God's kingdom will line up with the values of this worldly kingdom. 
And this is exactly what they asked Jesus. They say, so, so is now the time. Are, are you going to come and set up your kingdom on earth? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, Jesus here doesn't deny that one day the kingdom of God will indeed come to earth. But... That's not what Jesus is going to do. He actually says the next word is, but we're doing something else. What you thought was going to take place is not going to be. Your power is not going to be seen in this world, in worldly kingdoms, in nation states. There is not going to be, in this era, a physical kingdom on earth that represents the kingdom of God. There are two ways that I see Christians get hung up on this. Number one is trying to guess the end times. Trying to figure out when that eschaton is. The parousia, as theologians call it. That day of the Lord, which Eric preached about last week. That day when Jesus will come again and this world and heaven will unite and he will set up his kingdom on earth. That day is coming. And you get Christians out there on popular TV channels and, and, and writing books trying to figure out all of the details of when and how that will come to place. When is it going to be? Jesus says, it is not for you to know. That's what he says right there. Verse 7. I just had to look at it again just to make sure that's what he It is not for you to know. But signs of the times. No, it's not for you to know. But wars and rumors of war. No, it's not for you to know, Jesus says. Don't get hung up on these things. It's almost as, as if, I can't speak, Jesus is just simply saying, like, stop talking about that. I mean, don't, don't lose the hope, but stop trying to figure it out and focus on what's at hand. The second way that people get hung up on this is that they, they actually forget or believe that the kingdom of God is to be physically actualized on earth right now. That we are to, in some fashion, create a nation state which fully represents the kingdom of God. Through political power, that we can get a Christian in the White House, and that we can get Christians in Congress and in the Senate, and that we could do something in America to where America is what America is supposed to be, and that is a representation of God's kingdom on earth. Guys, you're getting hung up on that. That is, there is no sense here in which the apostles are called to go and, and transform Rome into, into some kind of kingdom that represents the kingdom of God. No, there's a spiritual kingdom of God that the church represents while living as citizens of the fallen empire of Rome. And I'm going to say on the left politically and on the right politically, people mess this up. And they begin to think that this kingdom on earth is to represent and reflect the kingdom of heaven. 
Oh, certainly, guys, love your neighbor. Be involved in, in voting and whatever th- for the sake of loving your neighbor. A, a just society is better to live in than an unjust society. But let's not get it misconstrued. The kingdom of heaven is not to be found on earth because it is a spiritual kingdom. We have not been given a sword or even a voting booth. We've been given words. And that is where our power is. It's in what we're about to see played out in the book of Acts. In the words. Oh, this is exactly what Jesus says. He says, you've you've been given power. You will receive power, verse 8. You will receive power. It's not that you won't have any power. It's not that you're going to be lost on this world and alone. You will have power, but power to do what exactly? Let's look at it. He says, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power, therefore, to do what? To be a witness. Come on. You're going to receive power to be my witnesses. This verse 8 is actually the central verse for the whole book. It gives us the outline for the whole book of Acts. You're going to receive power, he says, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapters 1 through 7. We're going to see them being witnesses in Jerusalem. In Judea and Samaria, that's chapters 8 through 12. We're going to see them being witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. And that's chapters 13 through 18. We're going to see them uh, be witnesses to the ends of the known world at the time. You have power to be witnesses of Jesus. What does it mean then for us to have power? It is not seen in worldly persuasion, but in gospel words, in a heavenly persuasion. Imagine yourselves going into a morgue. And you're, you're in this morgue, and, and you're looking around at all of these dead bodies lying on tables. And you, you, you receive the mission, hey, th- these, these dead bodies uh, are in some fashion to come to life. You need to bring them back to life. And you try with all of your might to wake them up and to warm them up and, uh, and to, to fill the bodies with bl- new blood. And you're trying all different sorts of things. And nothing you can do can bring these bodies back to life. That would be an incredibly difficult mission, would it not? Do you understand that spiritually that's what our mission is? Spiritually, we are Without Christ, dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Yes, we are walking zombies, meaning we are alive in other ways. Very much so alive in, in ways uh, that, that uh, uh, accord with common grace. But our most crucial part, spiritual part, is dead as a doorknob. And so as we are called to go into this mission, we have to recognize it's not a whole lot different than going into a morgue trying to wake up dead people. We need power. We need power. Where is that power found? Well, that power is found in this, in being a witness of 
Jesus Christ. And it's something that, church, that we, we don't feel to be true as much as we just have to trust that it's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, like words, words, ideas that you're given to share with a dead person. And we say, that's not enough. It's, it's not, we need something more than that. We need some, some, no, the Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is how it works. Somebody is spiritually dead. And you, in some fashion, labor with them to understand. And look, church, it's not just a three-second one-off conversation. This often is a relationship of laboring with somebody to understand that God is a holy God and that we were created in God's image to reflect his holiness to the world. But because of sin, God is against us. His judgment is upon us because we are sinners and rebels against a holy God. But God has not just left us in his wrath. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the redeemer, uh, to, to, to come into this world, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took the judgment that we deserve. He paid all of God's wrath for sinners like you, like me. It crushed him. It buried him. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Like, really, literally, rose from the He got up. And then he ascended to be with the Father. And we're given this command and this promise to repent and believe. That is the command. Turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ. For all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you are given the promise that you are forgiven of your sins now. Made right with God. In communion with God. And one day your actual body will be raised to new life. And you will live forever with God. That message has been used to raise millions of spiritually dead people. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. I see it. I, I see it regularly in our church. We've seen it. God uses that message to wake people up to reality. I think of uh, the story of Ezekiel. He's, he's taken by God to this valley of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel as he stands at the precipice of this valley, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? How would you answer God if he asked you that question? As you're looking at hundreds of human remains, bones, dry bones. Well, you probably would respond, I hope you would respond the way Ezekiel responds, and that is, if you say so. <laughs> and so then God says something to Ezekiel. He says, I want you to say a word over these bones. I want you to speak. 
Ezekiel is not a surgeon. He doesn't know how bones fit together, how ligaments work, how muscles work. But he's given a word to speak, and that word is dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will breathe in you and you will come to life that you will know that I am the Lord. So, Ezekiel spoke the word of God over the valley of dry bones and he heard the sound of rattling. Bone came to bone. Tendons attached bones together and muscles began to cover the bones and then skin covered the muscles. And all of a sudden, because of the word of the Lord spoken, Ezekiel looks and he sees a valley now of bodies lying there. Ezekiel looks at God and he says, okay, but there's no breath in in them. And God says, speak again. Speak the word. Tell them to breathe. And so Ezekiel speaks the word of God over the valley of dry bones, and their chests begin to rise, filled, their lungs filled with oxygen. And the text says they stand up as an army of men. What did Ezekiel do? What power did Ezekiel have? Well, number one, what Ezekiel did was he spoke. The word of the Lord. But what power did he have? That's an interesting question. Because Ezekiel doesn't have power to do this. It's as if there is a power that Ezekiel has been given. And through the means of Ezekiel speaking these true words, that power does something. Ezekiel, in and of himself, had no power to raise dead bodies. But the word of God spoken over the dead has the power to rattle bones to bones, ligaments upon ligaments, muscles and flesh, and then finally breath bringing these bodies back to life. And church, you have no power to deal with the spiritual death and decay that is all around you, but the Word of God. The Word of God has the power. Why? Not because of the certain sounds of the English language or the Spanish language or the Greek language or whatever language you you, you speak the gospel with, but it's these heavenly realities that are communicated, that God uses to wake up dead people. It's just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. How does that work? We're told right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will have power to be my witnesses. If we did not have this power, if we don't speak with this power, then words are just words. Ideas are just ideas. We need the power of God to move over valleys of dry bones. What's the experience of this in Acts? Well, let me just, let me just go forward in Acts a little bit. In Acts chapter 8, we see a bunch of Samaritans spring forth to life. 
In that same chapter, we see an Ethiopian eunuch having a conversation with, with Philip, and the, the Ethiopian eunuch springs to life. We see a man named Saul who's been persecuting Christians, has, has a conversation with Jesus on the Damascus road, and Paul comes to life. We see Gentiles, uh, uh, Cornelius, who, who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and the scales fall off and he comes to life. We see a wealth, wealthy fashion designer named Lydia who has everything in the world and discovers that she's got nothing without Jesus Christ. And she comes to life. The jailer, citizens of Athens, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, we see the power played out in church. We've seen this power played out in our own lives and in our own community, even during this pandemic. And I pray that we see more of it in the year 2021. Now, lest I again miscommunicate, this power is not just in evangelism. Don't think that evangelism is our only uh, uh, mission. Jesus in the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing, that's evangelism. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things. That sounds like the rest of our lives. That sounds like midweek Bible studies. That sounds like one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That sounds like Sunday school classes. That sounds like uh, uh, little Bible studies that you put together on your own. It sounds like little uh, discipleship Zoom calls. It sounds like random 10-minute conversations uh, with one another after church. It sounds like a text message of encouragement to somebody when they're down, encouraging them in the word of the Lord. The power to witness doesn't end with our evangelism. But we witness of Jesus to somebody who's even been following Jesus for 30, 40 years. The, the, we, the witness is our entire life together. The power that we have and the power that we have seen is not just in conversions. But you experience this power whenever you are used by God to encourage somebody else in their faith. You have that conversation with some sister and, and she walks away encouraged, believing in Jesus just a little bit more than she did prior to having a conversation with you. That wasn't you. That's not because you're a good Bible teacher. It's, that's the power that we have. Uh, that text message that you sent to somebody, just so random. You just say, hey, I'm praying for you right now. And then the, you find out later, man, that was so encouraging. I needed, that, I needed that word that you shared with me. That wasn't you. When, when you deliver a, a meal to somebody's house after they have a baby and, and you just spend three minutes talking with them and, and praying with them and encouraging them in the Word, and, and they are strengthened in their faith as a result. It's not because you brought them a meal. It's because we've got power. The Word ministry is what we are about. Everything else we do as a church, from eating together, uh, enjoying life together, uh, kickball games, um, job training, youth work, all the things that you do on your own throughout your, your lives, it's all to support the word ministry so that we might 
have this power displayed among us as we witness to one another and to the world around us that Jesus Christ is Lord. May we have this power. Here's the point. God is using His Word to shape His church. And you are His witnesses in doing so. But we can't stop there. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in your witnessing. Well, what is the result? I've got to close. What is the result of this power? Let me close briefly with this. The result of this power is a new humanity. It is a new people that is formed for God. Where do I see this in the text? Well, let me just briefly show this to you. We saw that there's, uh, they're down a leader. They're down an apostle. There are 11. How many were there? Come on, somebody. 12. The 120 are waiting in the upper room, and they're praying, and they've got some business to take care of. They have to elect a 12th apostle. They've got to find the 12th guy. This is somebody who's been with Jesus for his entire ministry. This is somebody who has witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. They need a 12th apostle. Have you ever wondered, why do they need 12? Like, why not just be like, all right, we got 11. We'll stick with that. Why do they need a 12th? Well, it's significant. Because there were 12 tribes in Israel. 12 tribes is the foundation of Israel. What God is doing is he is recreating Israel. It's a new people, a new humanity even, a new Jerusalem. In the book of Revelation chapter 21 verses 10 through 14, we see this picture of the new Jerusalem coming to earth. And in the new Jerusalem, in the city, it says that there are 12 gates and there are 12 angels at those gates. And on the name of each one of those gates are the 12 tribes of Israel. But then it goes on. It says that there's a foundation for this entire city. There's 12 pillars. And on the name of those 12 pillars are the 12 apostles. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of these apostles. What is this saying? This is telling us. That God is recreating humanity. That's the picture that we get. God is recreating for himself a new people. And that is the result of this power. This isn't just simply about getting souls to heaven. But this is power that God is using to create for himself a people. A new human race. And this is better, church, than uh, taking over Rome. This is better than getting some uh, politician in office in America. This is better than cultural transformation. This is better than just simply uh, doing good deeds in the community. This is the story of God making new people, and this is our story this is your story. This is what we are about as a church and individually. Let me close with asking you this question. What do you want your life to be about? When you die someday and you have friends or kids or grandkids that talk about your life, are they going to say that you were primarily about comfort in this world? You were primarily about your safety in this world. 
You were primarily about acquiring wealth and nice things in this world. Or will they say that you remind them of the Apostle Paul who said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish this race and to complete the task that I've been given. What is the task that you have been given? It is to be a witness of Jesus Christ. What if every single person in this room said, I want my life to be dedicated to this task? Whether you're pushing them up or teaching a class, whether you're working in a, in a uh, sky rise or you're working on a, a Zoom call, uh, whether you've got kids or whether you're single, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, no matter what stage of life you find yourself in, I want to be somebody who's witnessing for Jesus because that is what lasts. That is where the power is at. My only aim is to complete this task. And I think if you understand that not only were you sent into the morgue, but that you were born in the morgue. That's where you came from. Is anybody here aware that you were the dry bones? You were the one that had no hope in this world. You were the one that, were, that was completely dead in your trespasses and sins. I wonder if anybody would say, but God's word was powerful to bring me to life. To bring me to life so that I might be part of this new people, this new humanity, this new fellowship. And oh, what a fellowship. What a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. Church, hear the word of God and may dry bones live. And may these new lives praise God with all that they are because they are people who have come to life. God has made his breath enter them so that they might know that he is the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that this is a room filled with people who are once spiritually dry bones. And you have brought us to new life. Thank you for including us in your new humanity. May we be people on this mission, witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.